Hello, my friends. And yes, it's that time again. Welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope you feel good today because I just feel marvelous. And if you should happen to be a new listener, I say welcome. Welcome to the club, the club of truth. We are not a long show. We are just long enough to get you to where you are going this day and to try to open your mind because we are armed. It's a great day here in Arizona. Temperature is going to be around 100 degrees, and that's about average for this time of year. Maybe that is what makes this state so red. I happened to read somewhere that if you have to put sunblock on your skin to come outside, you do not belong on this planet. You see, we are the people of the sun. There's no such thing as too black. The more the melanin, the merrier. Millions have been brainwashed to believe that this complexion is called dark skin. It's actually the normal color of the original humans. White skin has been scientifically proven as the result of Neanderthal DNA. And I think right about now, my ancestors are proud of me. Proud of remembering and thinking about them and saying the things that they could not say. Being able to stand up and face tyrants in the face and say, I wish you would. You see, people have to pretend you are a bad person so they don't feel guilty about the things they did to you. But not today, because we are awakening by standing on the shoulders of our ancestors. And this show has hundreds of listeners that are taking these stories and these events and relaying them to the people that don't listen to our show. And I am very proud of each and every one of them. And if you want to reach me, all you got to do is type in Big Bow Show at yahoo.com and put on their listener so I'll be sure to answer you. That's B-I-G-B-O show. And I just want to remind you that you are entitled to your opinion, but you are not entitled to tell me what mine should be. So with that being said, let's slip into darkness and learn some truth. Because our ignorance is their power. You know, I really don't know what's got into the mind of the Republican Party. They think that they can take us backwards. Back to the Jim Crow days. Back to when we couldn't vote. Back to when women could not speak up. But I got news for them. This is a new day, and they are doing nothing but pissing in the wind. And I guarantee it's going to blow back on them. Don't want us to vote? It ain't going to happen. 
don't want critical race theory taught, it ain't going to happen. And although we'll teach our own, and the children of the very same people that say no to teaching it in our schools are wondering why and looking it up on their pocket computer and learning it anyway. My friends, allow me to introduce you to the mother of the civil rights movement. When Americans across the country pay tribute to a civil rights leader that President Ronald Reagan described as um, America's preeminent nonviolent commander, most people will be thinking of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in whose honor the federal holiday was established in 1983. But there is a lesser-known civil rights figure without whom Dr. King's work and nothing less than the entire civil rights movement of the 1960s may not have succeeded, and whose absence from the American history is a disservice to all citizens. Ella J. Baker A granddaughter of slaves who graduated valedictorian from Raleigh Shaw University in 1927. Baker spent nearly half a century raising the political consciousness of America and played a major role in three of the 20th century's most influential civil rights groups. The National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, pronounced SNCC. While those groups typically had male figureheads, it was Baker who, first as an NAACP field secretary and later as its director of branches, spent the 1940s traveling from small town to small town convincing ordinary black citizens who had been enslaved and terrorized for more than 200 years to join together and peaceably insist that they were deserving of basic human rights. Born in Norfolk, Virginia, Baker grew up in rural North Carolina, where she developed a deep sense of self-respect. Her parents shared their food with the hungry neighbors. Her grandmother told how she had endured a savage whipping rather than agree to marry a man chosen for her by a master. Utilizing her iron will and a gift for listening, Baker helped local leaders carefully craft and implement targeted campaigns against lynching, for job training, and for black teachers to get equal pay. She also was adept at recognizing talent and helped COAG's capable rank-and-file members into taking leadership roles. Among the participants at one of her workshops was an NAACP member from Montgomery, Alabama, named Rosa Parks. After resigning from the national organization in 1946, she had returned to Harlem to raise a niece. 
Baker stayed involved with its New York City chapter and in 1952 was elected its president, the first ever woman in that role. There she built coalitions with other groups, worked on a campaign to end school segregation, and even publicly confronted the mayor. But after the success of the Montgomery bus boycott, touched off by Rosa Parks' refusal to yield her seat to a white man on December 1, 1955, many black leaders, including Martin Luther King, decided they wanted to establish a formal organization to build similar boycotts throughout the South. Dr. King, a gifted speaker, was chosen to be the organization's figurehead. According to several historians, including biographer Barbara Ransby, writing in her book, Ella Baker and the Black Freedom Movement, it was Baker who principally framed the issues and set the group's agenda. In 1958, she moved to Atlanta to spearhead what had become the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the group primarily associated with Dr. King. For two and a half years, in an era before the internet, Rolodex, or social media, Baker utilized her skills, experience, and contacts to plan events, identify and establish protests and campaigns, and select and train various individuals to lead them. Now, her relationship with Dr. King was tense. Despite her level of experience and proven track record, he had difficulty allowing a woman's decision to trump his own, and her idea was that the organization should devote its resources more to promoting and enabling its overall mission rather than celebrating a charismatic leader. Now, Wyatt T. Walker, an early SCLC board member, said that the minister's refusal to follow Baker's advice was in practice with the era norms. You see, my friends, this is when we were imitating the lifestyle of our oppressors and not letting our women have a place. This was before the days of women's liberation. Walker says in the 1981 film Fundy, the story of Ella Baker, going to great lengths, To avoid the word chauvinist, Mr. Walker instead explains how unless someone was male and a member of the inner circle of the church, that it could be difficult to overcome the preacher ego. Religion divided us and ignorance controlled us. Frustrated, Baker was on the brink of resigning in 1960 when a group of college students refused to leave a Woolworth lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina. Having always believed that meaningful change happens on the street and not just from court rulings, she wrote a letter on a SCLC letterhead calling student leaders all over the South to join and begin working together. The day-long conference held over Easter weekend at Shaw University yielded the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, 
SNCC, a youth-led group that helped organize the 1961 Freedom Rides, directed many of the Black voter registration drives in the South, and drew national attention during the Mississippi Freedom Summer of 1964, when three SNCC workers were killed by white supremacists. So if Baker was so important, why isn't her name as well known to Americans as Dr. King's or Rosa Parks for that matter? For starters, Baker was never interested in the spotlight and devoted no effort whatsoever in seeking recognition. Instead, like all the world's greatest teachers and editors, she enjoyed the pleasure of watching others reach their own potential. I found a great sense of importance by being a part of those who were growing, she said. Secondly, despite Baker's gifts of leadership and oratory, the SCLC pastors refused to allow her to share in their prestige. Despite protests from key advisors, Dr. King initially granted her only the title of Provisional Executive Director, which obscured her true importance. Finally, there is the nature of storytelling itself. The inherent difficulty of conveying in a compelling way what could be described as the nuts and bolts of emotional labor. Baker spent years of her life performing the essential but far from glamorous act of listening, a crucial first step in helping beleaguered blacks develop enough self-worth to demand being treated with dignity in an environment where they had every reason to fear brutality and economic reprisal from their white neighbors. She also understood group dynamics and how to empower people to join forces, a delicate task that involves responding to a wide array of human feelings. A narrative about this kind of work is inherently less dramatic and far more complicated than, say, the tale of a discreet act of bravery on a bus. But great leaders have recognized for centuries that high emotional intelligence or the ability to recognize and respond to other people's feelings is central to successfully influencing them. So I will be honoring Dr. King and recalling the weary 15-year struggle it took to enact the federal holiday after Representative John Conyers of Michigan first introduced legislation four days after Dr. King's murder in 1968. But why not also pay tribute to Ella Baker, the mother of the civil rights movement? Without her, Americans of all color may never have received Dr. King's messages. Ella also believed that women were the unappreciated and unrecognized backbone of the movement. While she respected King's leadership and vision, she often reminded him that it was women doing the hardest work. 
Black women had long been the organizers of churches and other community centers in the South. Their networks and knowledge were the bridges between big ideas and action on the ground. Ella had spent her entire career working to bring people together in the fight for freedom. Poor and middle class, Christian and secular, Northern and Southern, men and women, and black and white. She was uncomfortable with the black power movement's rejection of white allies. However, she respected the SNCC was moving in a new direction, but she felt it was time for her involvement in the organization to end. But she found ways to stay politically active. She volunteered her time, knowledge, and voice in a range of social justice issues. In the 1970s, she spoke out in favor of Angela Davis's release from prison. She traveled internationally and supported civil rights in Puerto Rico. Ella Baker died in her sleep on her 83rd birthday on December the 13th, 1986. My friends, that's history. That's our history. And the reason we knew nothing of Ella Baker was not some accident. We know that. Just as we know there are a thousand other stories about important people hidden in the darkness. But rest in peace, my sister because your story is alive and well in this show's library, where our listeners can hear about you and carry your contributions to this war onward. My friends, that music tells me that it is once more that time. But before I leave, and you know I'm gonna leave you with a message, a message that I hope you can feel We can only awake the true power inside of us by reclaiming our ancestors' contributions, their stories, and their struggles. Until next time, you know, it's been my honor 